You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today, something a little different is happening on the show because I'm I'm here and Rachel is here, but Victoria is not here, but it's okay. We replaced her with someone else whose name also starts with the letter V. So I think we'll be okay. We have Vikram Balaga here. Vikram, hello. Hey, how's it going? I'm so happy to be on today. We are excited to have you here. Now, if you don't know Vikram, you should. Everyone needs to get to know Vikram. Uh, He's a great guy. He is on Twitter and a podcaster. It's kind of where I first got to know him. He does the awesome Planthropology podcast, which... You should all go check out. I mean, don't do it now. Don't stop <laughs> listening at this very moment. Check it out. But once we're done here, then go check it out. Uh, he's got all kinds of great guests on his show talking about everything plant. And occasionally he'll even, you know, go off script and maybe talk about bats or some kind of uh, animals as well. So you're not, you're not important pollinators. There you yeah. go. He's not an exclusively plant guy. Uh, but Vikram, uh, you know, when he's not... Uh, Podcasting is also a lecturer of horticulture and uh, is the greenhouse and gardens manager at Texas Tech. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, where can where can people else can people find you if they want to check you out online? So uh is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, the handles are a little different because people got there before me. But if <laughs> right. you search for Planthropology and <laughs> look someone... for bristlecone pine. Oh, I That'd love the bristlecone pine. I Amazing. I, I, I almost decided to talk about bristlecone pine for tonight, but I went a different direction. <laughs> uh, so awesome. We're, we're going to kind of have Vikram here as our guest, and he's going to share uh, a story with us as well. And actually, we thought it'd be fun, uh, Vikram, if you started stuff off this week. So what do you have for us? So I thought we would talk about an interesting and kind of strange phenomenon in forests called crown shyness have y'all heard of this before yes i don't know if you could tell from my face but yes i got really excited rachel 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 was very excited about crown shyness crown shyness it's fascinating it's so excited awesome tell us all about it so so crown shyness is this this really interesting thing where you've ever been like in a fairly dense forest of mature trees and looked up You'll notice that a lot of times there are these interesting like patterns between the the canopies of the plant. Like so the the branches up at the top don't touch each other. Uh, So you can actually see, you know, daylight or sky through the canopies. And uh, this has been called crown shyness. It's like the the plants want to stay away from each other. Mm -hmm. And but but why? Right. It seems kind of counterintuitive. When you think about the competition going on and plants all, we talk about plants kind of wanting to fight over sunlight and crowd each other out. But this kind of goes against that, right? It it does a little bit. And we typically see it 
uh, among like plants of the same species okay. uh, that are kind of at the outside range of their genetic potential in times in terms of their height. So like, yeah, generally a plant, if it's trying to outcompete another plant for light, it's like, oh, I'm going to get taller, right? I'll grow right, some right. more and shade this guy out. But yeah. they have genetic limits of about how big they can get. So once they're <laughs> right. all fully yeah. mature, they only have so many strategies for avoiding competition. Sure. Mm -hmm. And okay. one of those strategies is to not grow into the plant next to you. Okay. I mean, I suppose that makes sense in some form. Like, you don't want to expend energy trying to fight off this one plant that might just cover you slightly just a little taller than you, you know? Like, overlapping layers of, like, a lasagna of plants. <laughs> <laughs> plant lasagna. <laughs> plant lasagna, delicious. Um, well, and, and you think of it too, like a big mature tree, it over time gets expensive for that plant to maintain more structure, right? The more leaves right. it has to produce, the more branches it has to produce, it right. costs resources. And in a competition setting or in a big plant setting even, uh, they want to preserve as many of those resources as possible. So there's a lot of theories about why this happens or how this happens. Okay. Um, the one that I think is the most like prevalent is just that, you know, when the wind blows these can these trees around and these canopies around, they knock into each other and it knocks sure. off the young buds. Yeah. Okay. Which, which makes sense. Seems I plausible. Mean, yeah. Sure. And if you think about, yeah. And if you think about plant biology, when you like knock off a growing point that, branch branches, right? It, mm -hmm. it lets those lateral buds kind of take over and you get branching. So you get denser canopies that kind of avoid each other. One of the newer theories, and when I say newer, this is, you know, sort of relative when we're talking about plants and plant science <laughs> changes kind of slow, right. uh, is that the trees can see each other. What? What? <laughs> Define seeing for us. <laughs> so... Leaves, we okay, so we know that plants photosynthesize, right? So they absorb yeah. mostly red and blue spectrums of, of light. Those are the main right. wavelengths that plants take in. Right. Right. And they typically reflect green light, which is why they look green. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we think there are green photoreceptors in leaves, so they can recognize green light that's being reflected from other plants. Wow, huh. okay. So, so, kind of like a really, 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 really simple eye. Sort of. Sort of. Uh, but like you plant think of it, version. Yeah, it's almost like, I'm trying to think of a good way to explain it, and it's not well understood. Uh, mm -hmm. But they have these phytochrome photoreceptors that can uh, uh pick up blue light wavelengths, so wavelengths around 450 nanometers, but also like backscattered far red light, so so way on the right wow. end of the color spectrum. So it's almost like a chemical eye. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, but okay, uh, it picks up, like chemicals like pigments in the leaves can pick up the energy from these this light. And essentially... Well, no, go ahead. I say that that makes total sense because you think about like sort of the classic experiment that you know kids will do for science fairs and stuff, where you put a plant in a in a box with a hole on one side, and the plant will grow over toward the light right. and grow up out. The plants have to have some way 
to detect where the light is. And we, we talk about this with kids in the forest all the time. There's a tree leaning way over, and it's like, why is this one tree leaning? And you can see there's an old stump there, and you can see the tree, you know, there's an opening in the canopy, and the tree was going toward the light. So it makes perfect sense that trees would have to have some sort of method for detecting where the light is so they can grow into it. Right, and they'll start, like, the, the direction from which they absorb sunlight gets more resources because they can photosynthesize on that side. So it starts right. to push growth in that direction. It leads to the development and movement of a bunch of different plant hormones. But in this case, some of the theories are that, okay, the leaf on tree A picks up light coming from the leaf on tree B and sort of signals to that plant, oh, we should grow in another direction. We should stop wow. development towards this other reflective oh. leaf. And it's almost like these trees can see each other. And it's super weird. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's super whoa. cool. I mean, it makes it, it makes perfect sense because, like, you want to go away from the competition that's going to be resource intensive. Yeah. And if you have other parts of the tree that are not experiencing that competition, put your resources over there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm just thinking about the fact that we're <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm just completely astounded, but I'm also <laughs> thinking about the fact that uh, there's been some recent um talk and like some studies about how roots potentially communicate between each other too so this ties into that quite a bit like there's way more to trees than <laughs> or plants in general than we ever thought like they're not just this stagnant thing that can't communicate it we just don't understand that language that's that's such a good way to put that because they are you know, there's been so much research that they have these actually pretty sophisticated communication techniques through chemical right. signaling, through, you know, environmental signaling. Uh, some plants, like tomatoes, are a great example. Tomatoes have a, mm -hmm. a really specific smell, right? Like if you smell oh, a yeah. tomato leaf, oh, yeah. you'll remember yeah. that forever. Yep. Uh, some of I think these. I'm getting phantom smells of it right now. It's weird, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's in your brain forever. <laughs> Some of these like volatile organic compounds that are released like when uh, that plant is being preyed upon actually call and attract the predators of the insects that are feeding on them. And plants have sophisticated, very, very interesting uh, communication techniques with not just each other, but the world around them at large. We just don't speak their language yet. Okay, That's... hold on. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta take, I gotta take tomato plants talking to predators off my list of <laughs> so possible sorry. topics. That's fine. Yeah, that's that's such a cool one. Uh, oh, that's... And it's, whoa. You know, because when I first heard about that, my first, you know, your first thought is like, whoa, the plants are telling the predators to come. But of course, the flip side of that is, we'll know that the predators have learned what that smell means. Right. Uh, so you, you get into all these kind of philosophical discussions on of what is communication, what is that, you know, uh, and kind of rethinking about what, what that all even means, you know? Well, it makes sense. I mean, we've evolved what we think of as this complex communication with each other within our species and with other uh, species as well, like how we talk with dogs or cats and things. But... Plants were here first for millions of years, thousands or if not millions <laughs> of years 
longer than us. It makes sense that they would have a way more sophisticated way to communicate and have been able to develop ways to communicate and co-evolve with the animals that have been growing alongside of them for thousands of years. Like, it makes sense. It's just you Mm -hmm. don't think about it. Yeah, pretty wild stuff. Yeah. Whoa. I don't, I don't, I don't think. You're giving us a I lot think, to think about. Yeah. I, I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. I'm just staring at some, I, I was telling uh, both Vikram and Kirk earlier, but I have a lot of plants and now I'm just looking at them. They're watching. What are you talking about? What are y'all talking about? Yeah. <laughs> what do you learn? What do you know? <laughs> well, and what, what you all can't see is that, you know, Rachel has green hair. So whenever she comes near the plants, they can <laughs> sense that green hair. They know. <laughs> <laughs> it's my camouflage, Kirk. <laughs> Not from plants. They can see you. Camouflage <laughs> would be, you got to find out whatever wavelength they're not seeing well and go for that for your hair dye next time. All right. I'll, whenever, I'll it's time, whenever it's time to trim, if you have to trim your house plants, you got to put like mm-hmm. some kind of wig on and they won't know it's you. Just sneak up on them. That's They'll right. never see me coming. <laughs> awesome. Oh. Well, yeah. thanks for sharing that with us. I, did you have more you wanted to say about it? No, I mean, that's that's just about it. Uh, the, the only other thing I would say is that we see this in both uh, evergreen and deciduous forest. It's probably okay. more common in deciduous forests, but in some mm-hmm. like uh, longleaf pine or okay, uh, sure. some of the, the taller pine species, you see it as well because they, they mm-hmm. blow so around have a more of a more of a canopy spread to them. Yeah, and... yeah. That makes sense. That is so cool. Well, we're going to take a little break. And uh, when we come back, Rachel, I think you have a, I think we're all doing plant-based stories here in honor of Vikram. So cool. I, we're going to see what, uh, what Rachel has when we come back from the break. Okay. <laughs> I've got a special treat for everyone. You see, Society of Strange Members, which are our patrons over at patreon.com slash strangebynature, they get special bonus content for all of our episodes. So it might be some extra stories we shared. It might be uh, just some funny material that didn't get in that had to be cut or some bloopers. Well, this week when we had Vikraman, uh, we had him stay around a little bit after the recording and we asked him a bunch of silly questions and just had some fun with him. And we recorded all that and are including it for our patrons. But I want to give everybody a chance to see uh, what they're missing out by not being part of the Society of Strange. So if you head over right now to patreon.com slash strangebynature, you can actually hear what our patrons hear for free. Uh, We took that content that we recorded with Vikram and I put it up there, but it's available to everybody. And you can get it even if you're not a member, but we hope when you're there you will consider subscribing so you can get more fun uh, Society of Strange content. So once again, the address is patreon.com slash strangebynature. Head on over there, check out uh, the fun extra bonus content we had with Vikram. And uh, while you're there, check out uh, maybe becoming a member of the Society of Strange yourself. You can become one of our supporters, get your water bottle sticker, get your bonus content, or at the highest level, even get that uh, studio phone number. So you can call our voicemail and leave us comments and maybe even get on the show. So we'll take it back to our interview here with Vikram, but uh, hope to see you guys over there soon. Alrighty, welcome back, everyone. Um, 
I did not do a plant. <laughs> I was too Oh, you scared. didn't? <laughs> I did oh, not. You, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I'm like, I, I thought about it, and uh, my thought process was, He's an actual plant professor. He will know anything <laughs> that I say wrong. So clearly I can't do that. However, the animal I'm talking about today does look like a plant. Hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. So I I'll do am... my Rachel impression and say, I'm here for it. Go ahead. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Um, I'm not going to attempt the... Uh... No, I'm going to attempt it. Go for it. You can do it. Phylocrania paradoxa. Sounded great to me. Look at look at me go. Uh, it is a species of mantis that, which is an insect that is from right. Africa. It's also known as the ghost mantis. Ooh. Oh, okay. Now it's remarkable for several different reasons, but one of the biggest ones, and I actually have seen them in real life, because um, they're popular as pets nowadays. Oh sure. Okay. Um, they won't survive in the Minnesota winters, I will say. Um, but they're distinctive because their body is shaped exactly like a decaying dead leaf. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So they are generally um, a brown. They're not very large. They go through several different instars. So they grow and uh, change their body size every so ever so often um, once they have had enough food in it. That's such. Um, but as a. It's technically a miniature species, so they're only about 45 to 50 milliliters, also no, known milliliters? as... Millimeters. Millimeters. Yeah, it's fine. I was, yeah, it's I was thinking, how do you measure that? <laughs> All right. uh, my note said millimeters, and I read it wrong. That's they fine. also, <laughs> um, otherwise known as 1.8 to about 2 inches long. Um right. They come in various shades of brown, so like really dark, almost black, to even a greenish gray. Um, and those colors can change between molts, and it depends on the light and the humidity levels of uh, their environment as well, depending oh, cool. on uh, what color they'll... It changes what color they'll have. Do you, um, do you happen to know, like... If they're in a lower light environment, do they end up being a darker color? That is my understanding, not... yeah. That's okay. so cool. That mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. It's really cool. Um, so they're really, honestly, it's amazing when you see them because their camouflage is so distinct. They can be on a branch and you won't be able to see them unless you know what you're looking for. Um, because even their abdomen is like really wavy. Um, and their legs, actually, it looks like a stem that has been broken with little tiny leaf bits hanging on the edges of the legs. Oh, wow. And one of their, um, ways that they, uh, hide as well is they will hang upside down on a branch or something similar, and they almost always have their... They're praying mantis, so they almost always have their legs 
up near their bodies. But when they're moving or if they think they're, they're trying to hide, they will vibrate just like a leaf in the wind. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, wow. Um, as well as their abdomen. So I was talking about how their legs have little leaf bits and how their abdomen is wavy. Their abdomen is generally fairly flat as well. So it has those okay. crinkly, like a dried leaf that has fallen, uh, like a deciduous leaf that has fallen onto the ground. It's looking real sad. Something's been munching on it. It's been stepped on about a thousand times. That's kind of what this mantis looks like. Yeah, I just, I just dialed up some it's photos. It's so wild. It mm-hmm. is absolutely alien looking and bizarre. Yeah. Uh, like... I, I, when you were describing it, I, I thought I'd probably seen one, you know, in the past before in pictures and stuff, but it, I didn't have a good image in my head of how strange they are. So I was like, oh, I, I'm going to bring this up. Uh-huh. It's weirder than I was, uh, than I was imagining. <laughs> like a lot weirder. Yeah. I, I did this, like I just did the same. And, and the variation between them, like you were mentioning, mm-hmm. just the, the range of colors. Like I'm looking at some that look like a, you know, like a red fall leaf or right. one that's been, you know, I don't know. It's it's well, that's crazy. Oh, there's one exactly. picture I saw. It looked like a bunch of um, like maple Samara, the little helicopters, mm-hmm. just all kind of you know sitting in a pile. It's yeah. like and very strange. It's it's their primary way to uh, prevent being eaten. You know, it's their primary defense. Uh, birds tend to overlook them because they look like dead leaves. Why do bird? Why would a bird want a dead leaf? You know. Right. Um, yeah. And generally speaking, they can go unnoticed even if they're just staying super still. If they're not moving, it's really, really hard to be able to see them. Yeah. Um, right. The other thing, they are sec- sexually dimorphic. So males have wings, but females do not. Um, okay. So the females will actually play dead, uh, which makes them look like a dead leaf just on the ground. But the males will try to fly away. Um, Fun fact, if they do not have enough food and they are near a male, the females will eat him. (laughs) This comes from personal experience. Having, we weren't (laughs) at one of the nature centers that I work at. You were hungry one day. (laughs) We had fed them. That's the thing. Like they were eating like little cockroaches and everything, which was crazy to see uh we obviously put it underneath the microscope so we could look at it even closer um but apparently one of them was really hungry one day because all we found of that mantis were a couple of wings we didn't find anything else and but those those females were very large after that (laughs) yeah wow um, I'm amazed at the, yeah. the size difference on some of these as they're growing, mm-hmm. too. There's some that you see in someone's hands, and it's, you know, maybe almost as long as their fingers. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of one that's sitting on the end of a pencil. Yep. And it's the size of the sharpened lead. Yeah. Like, that's, like, that, that might size be a nymph or a first in I would scar. assume so. I would assume so. Uh, but that would be hard to raise if you are trying to figure out where it is. And it's super camouflage, and it's only that small. That's a very challenging creature to raise. Yeah. Generally speaking, they get um, about up to six instars. Uh, and okay. after that, they kind of stop growing all that much more or don't make it past that. 
Um, that may be for the best because if they if they right. kept going, they look like they would eat us. Probably, yeah. probably, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the females are bigger than the males, but yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, mantids kind of blow my mind to begin with. They're like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like, like you say, if they were big, they're kind of like the perfect predator, or they 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 seem to be. Like I've seen videos yeah. of them, like you know, picking birds out of the air and stuff, and it's totally nuts. Oh yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine being like a small little insect? Because they're insectivores. So they're finding little smaller insects and like um, flies and cockroaches and things like that. You're just crawling along. And then all of a sudden this thing you thought was a leaf, it boom, and you're dead. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Wizard of Oz with the the, the trees like that come alive. Like, yeah. they you're walking through the forest apples. and all of a sudden the trees are like coming at you mm-hmm. oh, how dare you pick this apple uh, terrifying one of the only other things I wanted to touch on was that their range uh, their uh, native habitat is all across the African continent um, and it's islands it can be found in Angola, Cameroon Cape Providence, Congo Basin, Ethiopia, Ghana Guinea, Kenya, Madagascar Malawi Yes, Malali, Mozambique, Nambia, Somalia, South Africa, Sudan, Tanzania, Togo, Uganda, Zimbabwe. It's also found in Southern Europe. (laughs) Like this is found just about everywhere. Yeah, it's uh, it inhabits a lot of dry areas where there are lots of bushes, uh, shrubs, and trees that are in the open, uh, which makes it really easy for them to be able to hide. Um, and that's what I have for you both today. Amazing. Thank you. Really fascinating. It's so cool. All right. Once we get back from the break, it'll be Kirk. The previous uh, nature center I used to teach at years ago uh, was located in the big woods biome. And we had a pretty amazing spot in the property. We had a bog. And I just, I absolutely love bogs. Cool. Those are so cool are probably much more commonly, at least around here, we think of bogs as being part of the, um, the boreal forest. But we do have uh, some that are, you know, down in the big woods where we are. The, the big woods is kind of the, the westernmost bit of the eastern deciduous forest that stretches all the way from, like, the east coast pretty much to Minnesota and then stops and it becomes prairie. Uh, so we do have some bogs. This one, technically, a little side note, is probably technically a poor fen and not a bog, but we're just going to call it a bog today to not get too technical. Ooh. And okay, it was a place Kirk. that I, I loved teaching uh, because it was such a different sort of world to take uh, students into because it was unlike all the plants and everything is unlike what we are used to in our normal day to day. There were three species in particular that were my favorites in this bog. And that's because this bog had three different species of carnivorous plants. Sweet. And yeah, so two of them were bladderwort and sundew. I love which I'm not going to talk about. I'm not going to so talk fun. about. I know. Now, but it's so fun. <laughs> I'm going to save those for a uh, a future episode. I want to talk about the third species, uh, which was the pitcher plant. And uh, we had had the pitcher plant on your side. Oh, yes. Many, many, many pitcher plants. It was they were super common. Super cool. Very easy for, you know, kids of all ages and adults to find because they're just they're right there. And uh, so 
If you've never seen a pitcher plant, I now have the fun task of describing it to you on a podcast. Uh, I'm going to say, please, like just, just go to Google and type in pitcher plant, and it'll, it'll be better than this. But Looks uh, like for a the meantime, cup with a spout. Yeah, the, the leaves of the pitcher plant that, that we had at the Nature Center um, grew out of the moss in the bog. So at their largest above the surface of the moss, they're probably sticking up about six inches tall. And they would grow in these sort of clusters or rosettes. And in the springtime, a lone flower would grow up from the middle of each cluster. The flower itself was quite strange looking, almost like a, uh, like a saucer-shaped UFO on the end of a stalk. I mean, they were just... <clears throat> the flowers alone are really cool. But that's not the big wild thing people are usually looking at. The leaves uh, are essentially hollow, forming a cylinder that rises up out of the ground with a sort of a lip or like a landing pad up at the top. Mm-hmm. And what happens is you get um, uh, water that fills up inside that little pitcher. Why well, it's called a pitcher plant, like a pitcher of water. Right. And the ones we had were very green with like deep purple stripes running down the side. Or if they were in a lot of sunlight, they'd be more deep purple with green stripes. Okay. It kind of depended how much light they were in. Uh, right. But these things were... Uh, they're very, very, very strange looking. There's about 140 different species of pitcher plants found around the world. And the one I've been describing was, is the northern pitcher plant, or the Saracenia purpurea. Uh, it's one of the most commonly seen in the U.S. because it's, it's kind of all through Canada and much of the northeastern United States that can be found if you're in the right habitat. Okay? All right. So that landing pad with that not I've, enough sun. Um... No, no, they, they, they're a full sun plant. They, they really want to be out in the sun. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's more the, they want to be in the bog uh, okay. than, than the fact that they're, it's not so much sunlight dependent. They really, they really do want to be in the sun. Okay. Uh, and it which works out in a lot of bogs because there's, if it's a bog that doesn't have a lot of trees in it, you're going to mm-hmm. get a lot of sunlight. Because my understanding your... of like uh, pitcher plants or the reason why carnivorous plants are carnivorous is because yeah. they didn't have enough sun, so ah, well, we're we're getting there. We'll get in there. You're okay. you're 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 kind of halfway there, but you're making a common mistake that people make, and that's right. part of what I'm going to talk about. So that landing pad that I described on there up on top, I call it a landing pad. You can think of it as like a tongue or something up in the top of this picture. Um, I don't want to think about it as a tongue, Kirk. You well, definitely that's should. Fine. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you probably should. Yeah. It's covered in tiny hairs that all point downward. A hairy why tongue. Does your, a why hairy does your tongue, tongue yeah. have hair, Kirk? Well, I'll tell you what. Not my tongue. <laughs> the plant's tongue. Come on now. Uh, so those hairs all point downward, which is very important because when an insect lands on there, uh, it's going to kind of explore around a bit and discover that whenever it goes up, all those hairs are poking into it. And it's like, ooh, I don't want to go this direction. So it is encouraged to travel downward. And when mm-hmm. it gets to the lip or the rim of that, uh, that opening of the pitcher plant, it tends to balloon outward a bit. Uh, and so the walls kind of fall away, and the walls no longer have hairs. They are extremely smooth and slippery. So insects will fall into the pitcher plant and get stuck in there. Mm-hmm. And now, you always hear about, like, that these are carnivorous plants, they're eating insects. But I do want to point out something that's often not discussed, and that's the fact that it is not foolproof. Uh, at least one study I was able to find that actually sat there and like watched insects landing on there and going inside, 
found that only about 1% of the insects that fall in actually get trapped inside. Yeah. So it's quite a low success rate. However, insects are quite numerous, and so m many of them visit and enough get trapped in that there, there are some falling in there. So <clears throat> I think there's also this impression out there, which is a, a bit of a misconception perhaps, that pitcher plants like then have like this digestive like acid in there or something that's going to digest these things. Um, there are enzymes that are secreted into that, that liquid that can digest insects that fall in. However, again, studies have shown that those enzymes tend to be more concentrated in that first year when that um, pitcher grows, but they can last for several years. And as they get okay. bigger and bigger, it's more diluted. And one of the really cool things is that insects do fall in there and they do die and they do get sort of decomposed and broken down, but it's not necessarily by the enzymes that are in there. There's other animals that are living in the pitcher plants. Uh, so you have things like um, what? Uh, mos mosquito mosquitoes. There's, there's okay. some species of mosquitoes that in, uh, that are hanging out as uh, you know, like nymphs and whatnot in the uh, the water. There, you have bacteria in there. Um, you have some really super microscopic stuff uh, like protists and whatnot that are living in there. It's actually a complex ecosystem inside getting, the plant. I'm getting flashbacks from. A documentary I watched a very long time ago of an ecosystem in a pitcher plant. I feel like yeah, David exactly. Attenborough it, was there. Probably, yeah. He, he's a big fan of pitcher plants. <laughs> so the, the, there's like a whole ecosystem working to break down the things that, that fall inside. So the question comes up then, why go to the trouble? And this is kind of getting at what you were getting to, Rachel. Yeah. Plants need nutrients. And mm -hmm. I think this can be confusing for the average person because we often hear people like, for instance, me, maybe saying that plants make their own food. And plants right. do make their own food, but, you know, plants are, through photosynthesis, combining carbon dioxide with water and making sugars. That's the super yeah. simple version, right? So, that and lets the sugars them do are work, the, but they still need to have, like, other nutrients like phosphate and nitrogen. Bingo. World exactly. runs on nitrogen. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So... You got your, your PNK, or your NPK, right? Your nitrogen, your phosphorus, and your potassium. Right. And plants need some way to get that, and they're not getting that through photosynthesis. And so it's no surprise that the three species I used to see in the bog um, were all, were not surprising they were in a bog, because a bog is defined as being nutrient poor. There's not, well, there's not really any soil. I mean, it's basically wet moss is what everything is growing in. <laughs> and it's really hard to get nutrients. Now, it's not impossible to get nutrients. You have all kinds of specially adapted plants that you know find ways to grow in this nutrient-poor place. And there are definitely things like pitcher plants have the ability to you know, get nutrients from the quote-unquote soil or you know, the, mm -hmm. the, uh, the substrate that they are living in. But being able to be carnivorous allows them to uh, get it in another way that not all plants can. So that's pretty cool. But I, I want to okay. talk about that word for a second. Carnivorous. Yeah, why do we I've call them carnivorous? I've always been kind of like, really, I mean, carnivorous, they're eating yeah. insects. And like, yeah, insects are animals. But like, when I think carnivorous, I'm thinking like a tiger or something, you know, like not something <laughs> eating insects. You eat a steak, right? Like, right, right. right. You don't, you're not, there's not, you don't find like steaks inside Go after there. another bird or whatever. Uh, so, and I mean, I think insectivorous would be a really good term for the pitcher plants that I used to see all the time, but it may not always be the best term. So I, 
I want to tell you about three other species of pitcher plants. Okay. Okay. So All right. in in Borneo, we're going to Borneo. They have uh, the pitcher plant. Sounds fun. Uh, Nepenthes raja, and the name literally <laughs> means king pitcher plant. That's what sort of the scientific name means. Would I fall and in, Kirk? It, the really big, well, no, you couldn't, but the really big ones <laughs> okay. hold two liters of water. That's, I mean, that's, that's too much. That's so seismic. much. Yeah, it's real big. I think so I have that in of, my car. <laughs> instead of attracting insects, what it attracts are tree shrews. Now, not, not to go inside, not to go inside. What Stay happens is... Wait for it. It... <laughs> I know. Vicar knows what's coming here. So that sort of, um, that tongue, if you will, that sticks up that we talked about, mm-hmm. it actually releases um, like a sweet nectar. Okay? And the okay. tree shoes jump up onto the rim of the pitcher plant, and they then lap up this nectar that's being mm-hmm. offered up to them by the plant. And like any small rodent, what are they almost constantly doing, Rachel? King. Well, they're going to the bathroom. Yeah, so that's this, what I this said. pitcher plant is sometimes described as the, uh, well, pooping as well, dropping the okay, scat. Okay, yes, right? yeah. So what's happening? Oh, They're dropping fertilizer. Whoa. They're putting fertilizer in, making a deposit in the oh, okay. little, you know, shrew toilet up there. Uh, <laughs> and then they're getting, they're getting <laughs> sure. this nectar. So literally, you know, these plants have figured out that they can trade sugar for the nutrients they need from the mammals. Like I'll give you some sugar if you give me some fertilizer, That's which is way cool, mind blowing, so cool. A, such a such a wild thing, such a cool yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. If it's just, out there, it probably exi- yeah. You can dream it up; it may about, exist. Oh, it's making me think about um, the orchid that Victoria talked about mm-hmm. ages ago. And yeah, the uh, hammerhead the orchids. Hammer, yep, hammerhead orchids. I I think about that a lot actually still. <laughs> <laughs> I told the kid about that earlier today. Mostly it's the, the, the how gross they look is what I think about. Now, this, <laughs> is not, this is not the only species that does this. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Nepenthes uh, Helmsleyana, I believe it is, does the same thing, trading uh, nectar for guano in this case because they attract mm-hmm. bats. And so they are feeding bats sugar in return for the bat guano. So similar okay. kind of thing going on. Um, but if we're going to talk carnivorous pitcher plants, I do have to mention just one more. Uh, it was first formally studied and scientifically described only a little over a decade ago. And you mentioned uh, David Attenborough before. Yeah. Well, this one is named after David Attenborough. Uh, it is Nepenthes Attenborough. Uh, That's and amazing. You can probably yeah, so it's the name is pretty fitting. It grows on Mount Victoria in the Philippines, and what it does is it adds sugar to the water in the pitcher to attract rodents that then drown when they come to take a drink. It eats mice. So <laughs> it, it eats mice, and they've I, that's even the found. That's the one I was waiting for. I'm like, are they going? At least to in eat one birds? case, they even found a mice? rat, a full-grown rat, in one of these. So you can okay, picture are how we big talking this is. like so, New York City rat or like? As far as I know, like a full-grown rat, which is not small. Uh, that, in my mind, it's not a steak, but we're, we are firmly uh-huh. in the carnivorous plant territory uh, at that point. The Ratatouille sequel took a really dark turn. Oh man, <laughs> this is why none of us are getting hired by Disney to write. Uh, 
Yeah, that that's, <laughs> to write shows. that's the reason. Although, man, sure. I think they'd be amazing. We if, if you got some, we would not be hired then, on the Ratatouille sequel. That is for okay. sure. <laughs> but think if he got, he, you know, he sees this picture plan. He's trying to collect. Oh my gosh! Ooh, tasty. It, there's potential there. There's potential there. Well, that, that's what I have. I just wanted to share a little bit about pitcher plants because I think they're just some of the most amazing plants. And really, it kind of ties in, I think, with Vikram, what you were talking about, about we think of plants as these one thing, you know, uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're plants. They're not animals. They don't do animal things, you know. But then you start to realize the more you look at nature, is one of our reoccurring themes on the show, that nature does not like to fit in our tidy little boxes. Nature All laughs you, you at have, your categories. Yeah, we have plants that can see. We have plants that eat animals. Like, it's it's a wild world, and that's I just it's so amazing. So you cool. could say, it's strange by nature. You could, in fact, say that, and we do, Rachel. Thank you. <laughs> you should say that. I think more people should say that. <laughs> right? After, they should listen Nature's to the show and then start saying that. <laughs> I said, well, thank you, uh, you know, to Vikram for being on yeah, with us today so and sharing your so story fun. with us. Thanks for having me. That was super. Like, I learned a lot. That was super fascinating. I really enjoyed <laughs> <Okay>. it. <laughs> Woo. That's the goal. Well, everybody go listen to, uh, you know, Planthropology podcast as well and check out uh, what Vikram's got going on in the, uh, the plant world and more. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hope everybody will uh, join us next week for more Strange by Nature. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Vikram. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.